Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at CAMH.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. We haven't spoken in so long. It's nice to chat again. Yeah, you big lunk. <laughs> Mark Burry, journalist, scholar, amateur paleontologist, digital reputation custodian, author of a book or two of some sort, I'm told, Duffy trial witness, former Canada Land supporter, and and litigant. I should mention, you've promised that you're not going to sue me for anything I say today. So that's correct? Yeah, yeah. You're in law school. You can tell me, is that binding? Can I say to a judge at a later date, you know, uh, he promised via Twitter direct message. Can I libel you with with impunity today is my question. Oh, probably. I mean, why not? Um, I think that's the attitude of a judge. Why not? You know, just fucking go for it, Jess. That's, that's where the courts are at. This has been a very long introduction, Mark. Welcome to Shortcuts. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by James Waddy. Amer Bulosevic, Caitlin, Andy Smith, Alex Newman, Anthony Matias, Spencer Keys, Shannon Alberta, and Gregory Barrett. Gregory, why did you decide to be awesome? Because media without criticism is simply propaganda. This episode is also brought to you by Picatick.com, the ticketing service online. It's like Eventbrite. It's like Ticketmaster. There's a big difference. It's free. 
They don't charge you service fees. If your event is $10, that's what you get. The only fees are the credit card fees. How does Picketick do this? How do they make money? They make money if you upgrade to their paid service where you have special branded tickets and a special branded event site and granular analytic detail. If you take this to the super pro level, then they've got some great features to sell you. But for the rest of us, you can just use Picketick for free. Who uses Picketick? I asked Jay from Picketick that question. MIT signed up, SpaceX, Tesla, Disney, and then just community events that are people who are just putting on your neighborhood startup meetings or anyone who's bringing people together and needs some type of registration. That's who's using it. It's everyone and anyone. Go to picketick.com for your event. Tell them who sent you. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Let me say, I don't know if we fully got through your disclosures. You were a... a, a um a witness in the Duffy trial, because we're going to talk about Duffy, so we should mention that. I'm still actually a witness in this thing, in theory. If we get sort of in a weird spot about that, I'll let you know. I think we still have some kind of rules about this kind of stuff, though. No one seems to follow them anymore, unfortunately. Okay, we'll keep that in mind. And you are also a friend of, of the senators, yes? Yeah, yeah, I've known him, God, I don't know, 15 years. I used to sit beside him. I used to work sit, sitting right beside him in the um, press gallery, so... It's a sad case. It's a very tragic case in a lot of ways. It, it, it's um, in the real sense of a tragedy, not you know some somebody getting hit by a bus kind of tragedy, but a person whose own faults bring them down um, from very high, lofty you know places to very low places. Uh, it really is a, a very sad story in a lot of ways. Like of a Greek tragedy kind of scale, you're suggesting? Yeah. 
Or or even Shakespearean, yeah. I mean, a real tragedy where somebody uh, lopes along nicely through life, but elements of themselves destroy them. All right. Well, maybe we can return to that theme in a moment, but let's check in with where we're at uh, with the uh, press coverage as the trial has just hit a recess for, uh, well, throughout the rest of the campaign. Anyhow, here's what that sounds like this week. When it comes to the Mike Duffy trial, some people are following very closely and others really don't care. I just really don't care. I have no interest at all, and I don't care. Oh, I'm sort of getting tired of hearing about it, and uh, I think the trial itself is a waste of taxpayers' money now. I moved to the Yukon to get away from that kind of uh, nonsense. Yeah, um, we have way bigger fish to fry. You're making an issue out of Duffy? He's a nothing! <laughs> Mark, are they right? No. I mean, they're saying what Harper has been banking on and what the Conservative Party of Canada has been saying pretty explicitly, that there's never really been much to see here, that, you know, that the $90,000 isn't a lot of money. There are more important things we should be talking about as, as we figure out who's going to be the government of this country. And that we in the media have been making a mountain out of this molehill. We've been beating it to death. It's a big scandal to us. Nobody else really cares. Is that true? No, it's a it's a very important trial. It's it's a trial that's important not just because you have this tragedy I was talking about with with Duffy himself, but it confirms what a lot of people have thought about how the center of government works in this country. That basically, this country is being run by a bunch of real sons of bitches. That they, um, you know, that they have this sort of frat boy, tough guy thing going on all the time. Cover up the problem, move on. Don't worry about the truth. Don't worry about ethics. Don't worry about anything. Just you know, get it behind the prime minister. We don't want to have it spoil his day tomorrow. Uh, people suspected that for a long time. That's the tack I took in my book on Harper. And we're seeing it really play out in this trial. Now, once that message gets through to people, I'm not sure where it goes from there. And then I guess it, you get a decision on whether or not Duffy's guilty or not. But I think right now, even though we have a very sort of unsatisfying spot that we're at because the trial's not over, we really have seen the inner workings of, of this prime minister's office. Duffy's uh, guilt or innocence feels like, I know this is the trial of Mike Duffy, but that just feels like such a, a minor footnote to this thing. The stuff that is getting uh, the press so excited is that we're getting unique insight into how the PMO functions and to just explicitly how they covered this up. We're watching them lie in front of us. It seems, I, I don't know how else to put it. Look, the machinations are being laid bare, and that's interesting to people who care about this stuff. But again, I'll ask, when you talk about the wider public, you're talking about people who either already thought that that's probably, I mean, I've spoken to people who plan on voting conservative who say, yeah, I, I imagine that that sort of thing happened all the time. I'm not naive, and this doesn't surprise me very much. And frankly, the minutia of the trial day in and day out is uh, is boring me. It's going to fit over top of a bigger question of who's in the best shape sort of intellectually, uh, ethically to run this country at a time when we're seeing very radical economic changes and social changes. Stephen Harper had come across as this person who was a very good manager and a straight up you know, ethical kind of born again Christian guy um, who could be trusted to, to run things properly. And I think that the Duffy trial puts a big hole in that. As people begin to worry about other things, this will play into it. I don't think a lot of people are going to say, well, geez, Harper really didn't treat Duffy right. I'm going to change my vote. It's part of the death by a thousand cuts that takes down a lot of long-term governments where they say, 
They're, these guys have been around too long. Uh, they're sticking up the joint. They don't treat people properly. They can't even run their own shop, let alone run the country. You pile that on top of the economist in chief running around for the last 10 years saying, I could run the economy right, and then seeing the wheels starting to come off the economy. And this election could change into a real route on Harper. I, I get your point. It sort of puts some stink on him. And then that influences the context as we move into discussion about the economy. Even if this isn't a voting issue for you, uh, and I think that for most supporters it's not, it does color, you know, you, 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 and, and there is the horse race sense. You kind of get a sense of whether or not, you know, do I want to be in with this person or are they so tarnished that it's time to withdraw the support and put it elsewhere? I kind of, I, and I, I think the, the polling kind of supports that as much. I don't know if we want to get into, into, I don't know how much credibility or how much interest we have in that, but to the extent of a, as, as a barometer of what people care about or whether the press is wildly out of whack with what the people care about, it is having an impact, it seems to be. This is the first Harper campaign where I sense that, that the wheels are right off this campaign, that it's, it's total damage control. It's almost a sort of freak show uh, that's traveling around the country in a very sort of closed system, making sure that nobody gets through to it. And Harper has always been a good campaigner and has always come up in the uh, polls as his campaign. And this time he's not. Now, whether or not somebody else, like whether or not Mulcair becomes sort of the the guy who's winning the way Jack Layton was near the end of the last campaign, where he obviously was drawing huge amounts of new support. Um, that remains to be seen. And we'll be seeing this shift gears, I think, after Labor Day when people, you know, they always say, oh, back from the cottage or whatever. But I think most people do try to ignore this stuff in the summer, especially when they know they're going to get flooded with this anyway when they get their kids back to school and they, you know, start focusing on work and, and, and the election itself is close. I mean, I, I just want to flesh out what I think you're referring to when you talk about the uh, the freak show aspect and the traveling road show. I mean, just yesterday, as the trial was uh, in its last day before it took this hiatus, the prime minister sends Nick Coolsberg and his uh, – the title is issues management director. He's lurking about in unshaven in a red hoodie and having conversations with, uh, with a witness, with Chris Woodcock, like who's like – under oath, I understand, like during like a recess, he's like getting like communication channels open between the PMO and a witness who's going to be on the stand and then like gets, you know, made by the press and then they hound him out the building and he looks like he was just caught in a drug deal or something. I, and I, so that's what's happening at the trial. And then in a national context, Justin Ling at Vice writes this like really incendiary piece about just how impossible it is. Essentially, you need to spend a fortune of money and you need to have your questions vetted in order to just ask the guy who wants to continue to lead this country to ask him a question at his campaign events. And that's echoed today uh, in, in a piece uh, by Tim Harper at The Star saying that he can't interview conservative candidates. John Ibbotson at The Globe, he name-checks as somebody who's getting turned down for interviews. Glenn McGregor at The Ottawa Citizen can't get interviews. Yeah, and, and you know, it's a convenient time for me to plug my book, which is now in paperback at a very reasonable price, uh, Kill the Messengers, Har Stephen Harper's Assault on Your Right to Know. Uh, wasn't that smooth? Yeah, I, I mean, two years ago when I was writing the book, I could see this coming, that if they started to lose, they would be even worse than they always have been which is really saying a lot. 
and that this campaign I even put in the part of the book where I talk about campaigns and I think I wrote that a year and a half ago that very few media outlets would find it worthwhile to cover a political campaign anymore in this country and I'm not just talking about Harper's but but Harper's especially and I, I tweeted something the other day I, I, I saw a video of a motorcade it was it's some small town basically a bunch of black SUVs with the windows rolled up and a school bus pulling up behind what looked like an old school somewhere so that Harper could come out and do one of his uh, photo op moments, a uh, re- sort of secret rally of vetted people, and then everybody would get back in and, and drive away. And I tweeted that this is what I think elections would look like in a fascist country. And I know that sounds extreme, but I mean, really, how else would they look if you were having pretend elections uh, with pretend people and sort of pretend candidates who aren't even, even the local ones aren't available to talk about anything? Is that anywhere near democracy anymore? I'd like to ask my friend Andrew Coyne that sometime because he's he's kind of goes down this road about how you know it's not as bad as people say but it is as bad as as people like yeah me and and michael harris have written. i i think that to some extent i mean you know uh, coin himself wrote a pretty <laughs> a scathing piece of satire when that moderate reasonable voice gets as appalled as coin is seeming you know i mean like it's crazy what's going on like joe, and then the joe oliver you know finance minister is is literally literally only talking about the financial planning of this country and the budget to private audiences of Bay Street men. Yeah. And and, and is being forced to... Can- they, they send Michelle Rempel out to talk about the economy on power and politics and stuff because she's so damn cute nobody wants to be mean to her. But but ugly old Joe, um, who's supposed to be so-called running the economy, yeah, he, he surfaces like in the middle of, of, of what seems to be a, a very fast-developing financial crisis to talk to a bunch of, of like frat boys or something in some kind of closed meeting somewhere. The whistle gets blown on him, and rather than, you know, tough it out or actually say, well, maybe I should actually talk to people, he he, he just bolts. He's, he's not around, and the liberals end up making on the whole thing. It's this is, this is a campaign that is in serious trouble, and I expect we'll see a whole bunch of people get fired. They'll probably fire Ray Nowak because they don't have much choice, but in, inside the campaign, I think heads will start to roll, too. I haven't seen a campaign this fucked up since 84 when I was uh, with the Turner campaign for a while, and uh, in the middle of the campaign, it was obvious. This is when you know Turner was prime minister for a few seconds was about to lose power. It was obvious they were losing. It was obvious it was going to be really bad. And they just started firing everybody. And yeah, I think we're going to see that with Harper's campaign. And we might see that with Trudeau's too. That thing has not been particularly stellar either. It's funny though, because with Harper, these are the same things that ironically people in the press even went out of their way to praise the tight message control. Why speak to a press when you know they're not going to do you any favors? Put out the information through your own channels. Speak to your base and exert total control over your caucus. That's what a lot of media watchers were actually kind of impressed by. But those same tactics start to make you look scared and directionless when the dynamic shifts, you know? I mean, it was never a good tactic anyway. It, it might work in, you know, in China or something where you don't have a free press and you don't have people who expect at some point to know what the hell's going on. Um, well, it worked these, for a while, didn't it, Mark? It, it worked pretty good for a while. Hey, you know, I think I could probably run against Stefan Dion and win. You know, you got a guy, the base isn't that big. The vote was split just nicely enough for them to get the two minorities and then, you know, and, and then get the majority. Uh, I think people at this time are looking for the party that's going to beat Harper. It's always a hard pick, 
But it seems to me very early in this campaign, the smart money started settling on, on Mulcair. And I think, I think that had a lot to do with the NDP winning in Alberta. And if that happens, if people say, uh, you know, if they write off Justin completely and go with Angry Tom, then boom. It's all over for Harper. And the base never was that big. He, he was very fortunate in the, in the splitting of the vote and, and very fortunate in, in the timing of events and very fortunate in the uh, opposition that he had. And I think that time has run out. We can look at the Duffy trail. We can look at how he treats the media. And, and a lot of people would say that the, you can look at a dozen other things and it's all just – it's all just ephemera. It's all just fun chatter. And people vote because of the economy. And uh, in Alberta, the economy turned and they got rid of that government. And, and that, that takes us to our next topic here, which is what's, what's going on with the stock market and with the reporting thereof. If you happen to be watching when the markets opened this morning, it was breathtaking. The flash crash pummeled markets in New York. The TSX followed suit down violently. Some financial analysts are already calling today Black Monday. It sounds bad. Well, it's gut-wrenching. The panic spread through Europe before sweeping across the Atlantic. What is the vector of contagion? It started then contaminating other markets. Ripples in the world's second largest economy have turned into waves of panic. Uh, gut-wrenching, plunging uh, the contagion. I am a, a economically illiterate person. There's a whole financial press, which is why a lot of people read newspapers as the business section. And I, I'm, I'm one of the people who only reads them when something really terrible happens. And the language is always in s- such apocalyptic tones. I never really have any sense of what's going on. I mean, what do you have to say about how this information gets relayed when we have a week like we just had with the international markets? Usually there's a, a bad linkage between people who cover finance and people who cover national politics. And if you go on something like National News Watch, which is the web page that most of the political journalists get probably all their news from, there's no financial news there. In fact, I don't think they've had a story at all about the markets. But the, it's not just the stock market. We've, we've seen this growing problem of, uh, of the economy for months and months, especially in Canada with the price of oil. But if you look at China, which is everybody's had their money on China, it's been it's been melting down for quite a while, and a lot of people in Canada have their money in things like emerging funds because they paid a, a big fat return. But the emerging funds countries like China and Brazil and uh, Russia are all a mess, and we're going to see people lose substantially in in those stocks. But anyway, to get back to it. This disconnect between the financial side and the political side is coming together in a way that would not do Harper very well at all. And the uh, when you see headlines like crash and that sort of thing, usually, well, it's, it, it means job losses. It means uh, disruptions in, in really vulnerable parts of the country. And a lot of those parts of the country are places where the vote split was pretty profound, like southwestern Ontario. I mean, the, the government of Alberta probably exists because the price of oil crashed and the conservatives out there had done nothing to prepare the province for that. And I think at some point, if we have any sense in this country, this election will come around to talking about that and asking politicians why uh, the economy in so much of Canada has been allowed to stagnate and why we put all our eggs in that oil basket knowing you know, anybody can look at a chart, knows that oil goes up and down and up and down. It'll go back up. It'll go back down. And is this really the, the economy that we want? 
Christ, that was all over the place. But. There's a lot in there. I mean, I probably know just enough to be dangerous to myself and my own understanding of this. I mean, I know that there's a lot of Chinese money invested in Canada because there's a lot of new money in China that isn't that was never confident in the economy there. Yeah, and there's a lot of Canadian uh, money invested in China. It goes back and forth. Plus, if China goes down, it takes the world with it. Just like if, if America goes down financially like it did in 2008, we're going to feel this for a few years because China has so much of the manufacturing now, has so much of the investment. And a lot of this investment is built on the foundation of of the honesty, quote unquote, of the Chinese banking system, which is probably a bit of a joke, and on the Chinese government providing statistics that are legit. And what we're seeing now is the Chinese government printing money as fast as it can to pump up the Chinese banks so they don't go down. It is an interconnected economy now, and it's a complete clusterfuck. And it's China's is in trouble. You know, Europe is in trouble. Russia, Christ knows what's going on in Russia. Uh, and 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 you look at the resources like look at commodities which was which is what we sell now because we've let our manufacturing die and oil is at rock bottom metals are way down and if you look at there's something called the uh, baltic dry shipping index which is basically tells you how much stuff is moving in the world how much trade is going on and it hit a record low last february and it's it's still sort of bouncing along in that low area which means it simply Things aren't moving anymore. Iron's not moving to China. Goods aren't coming back. Um, world trade is in a bad situation, and we are a trading nation, and we are a commodity seller, and we're in deep, deep trouble. And having a prime minister running around in a bubble during an election campaign prevents us from having the kind of discussion that we need to have on this issue. You go well. You go to Toronto. You go out of downtown Toronto. God knows there is such a thing, Jess. Uh, or uh, get me out of downtown Ottawa and go down past Kitchener, anywhere in southwestern Ontario between, say, Kitchener and Detroit, and see how many towns have been devastated by the loss of, of manufacturing. Or go up to northern Ontario and see what happened to all those communities where forestry got wiped out, and you could buy a house for twenty thousand dollars, literally, uh, in the in the towns between Sault Ste. Marie and Thunder Bay and in, in, in northern Ontario. Or go out to to Alberta and take a look at the oil towns and that may be where journalists might be smart to go rather than follow harper around in, in this this bullshit campaign is go out there and just see what's going on in this country and report about it peter scowan did that uh, he went out to fort, fort mcmurray he might want to go back and do it again mark burry thank you very much for uh for chatting with me today a uh, new new uh contributor uh, <laughs> about to about to uh, put, hit the patreon button again for big jesse you do a great job jesse you really do. And, you know, your work is super important. And quite frankly, I don't know if we're recording this and I don't know if it's going to go out, but I was insanely depressed after the Duffy thing. Um, I had Duffy. I had my eight, my 11-year-old daughter was having problems at school. I had 100% law exams. I just got off pneumonia and a prednisone uh, uh, treatment because I have, like, really bad lungs. And I had a book contract sitting unsigned at HarperCollins when all that shit was going on. It was unfucking believable, and I I still marvel at how I got through it. And I think for months after that, I was in really really bad shape. Mark, I'm sorry to hear all this. So this by is by way of explanation of that. This is all. I'm very sorry to hear about these circumstances. I, but is is that does that? Are you apologizing? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I am. Um, I'm explaining because I I I'd been in you know in journalism since I was 20 years old, and I had never been part had been sort of the target of a media pylon before. And 
it was startling. It was real. It was a real head changer. I, I don't. That's never happened to you yet, but it it might at some point. Um, it should probably happen to everybody in media at some time or another because it's 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 mind blowing. You you really see how uh, once people get fixated on on an idea, you know, and this was the you know the crooked journalist idea. It's it's horrible. It's there's just. You know, all your friends stay silent, and and there's just nothing you can do to avoid it anymore. It's, it's uh, you know, it's it's ghastly. All right, so listen. First of all, to whatever extent that was an apology, I accept and thank you for it. To the idea that there was a media pile on, Mark, that was a totally interesting story that it turned out that Duffy had paid a couple of journalists, and it was going to get covered. Oh, it, it was, was. going to get covered, and the idea that everyone thought you were a crooked journalist. I mean, there were, you know, we're. We're, we're going to talk, but I agree with you, and I, I don't know if I've ever been the victim of a pylon. I don't know if you've ever been a victim of a pylon, to tell you the truth, but I have had a taste of some bad press, and I agree with you. Everybody who does this kind of work should have a little bit of an experience of what it's like to be on that end of it. And uh, and l- listen, you nut, I, I, you were always good on this show. You were. It was only a matter of time before we are going to have you want to talk about your book. Don't go apeshit on me again. We could be friends. Oh, it was, it was, like I said, it was... Uh Unfucking! I was actually well. Yeah, well, don't even go there. But you know, yeah. I mean, I can try and explain it again. I mean, I I was trying to change careers when I was working for Duffy, and then I didn't change careers. And I, you know, I if I had just given back the gallery membership when I was teaching, I'd have been in the clear. But uh, yeah, you know, what the fuck? Um, you know, hindsight's great. But I, I'm I'm fine. You're good now. Yeah, I'm fine now. I I All right. I've got my book almost finished. Uh, going back to school, taking some really interesting courses, uh, prison law, uh, uh, online defamation, which might come in handy to so many of my good friends. And um, I really would like to you know to heal some of the wounds of that. It was uh, it was a, it was an eye opener, and and you know. When I'm practicing law, I think I think it'll give me a chance to really connect with some of my clients because, like I said, I, I started in newspaper work when I was 20, and and I and I did it for 37 years off and on, and I had no idea. I I've been giving it out for years. I, you know, it's it's fucking karma. It it really is. Um, I mean, maybe that's a, a subject for a show at some time. Is is like the thin skinness of of reports because I was insanely thin skinned. And I think I have a thicker skin now, and I think in some ways it was a, a good thing for me, uh, despite you know, despite the fact that it, it really put my family in trouble, it, it really put my book in trouble, it it made me really just want to you know take off to the bush or something. Um, it was uh, it was it was horrendous, and, uh, and and you know it wasn't even a big scandal. I mean I can't imagine how Duffy gets through this. Okay, that is your Canada Land Shortcuts. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read them all. I respond when I can. I'm on Twitter at Jesse Brown. The website is canadalandshow.com. And the crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. I make this show with Katie Jensen. The next episode of Canada Land will be up on Monday. And Canada Land Commons is back on Tuesday. If you like this show, please support it. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.